Welcome to CR Studies. Join us each week as we take a deep dive into the Word of God, start a conversation, and discuss how it applies to our lives today. Hey, everybody out there in the Crossroads podcast listening world. My my two friends here are making fun of me. I am J.D. Lowry, one of our teaching pastors here at Crossroads. J.D. Lowry, 107.3 FM. My two friends. We have not... These are my two friends, and they just in make the fun world. of me. This is it, guys. I was homeschooled growing up, so it's it's tough out there. All right, so let's let's can we pretend? Okay, gosh, my goodness. Okay, you're doing great. I am joined uh, by my two friends. I'm going to introduce immediately, and then yep. we're joined by a third, well, yep. a fourth of all of us here in a second. So, Jason, why don't you? Is she also your yourself? friend? She's also my okay, friend. Okay, good. Yes, but well, my name is Jason Collins. Uh, most of you guys, you know, if you're listening to this from Crossroads. We know each other, hopefully. Uh, so, lead pastor of Crossroads Relet, good to be on the show. Thanks, JD. <laughs> what is that? Wes, go for it, man. I'm Wes Barnett. <laughs> S. Wesley Barnett. S. Yeah. Wesley Barnett. Amen. Come Barnett. on. Hey, man. Um, I'm one of the teaching pastors at Crossroads. If you go to Crossroads, we probably know each other. Yeah, awesome. I didn't state that. I probably know some of you as well, and that's awesome. I'm glad yeah. you're listening to us today. Um, we, do, we are joined by a, a guest this week. Yeah, and she's hungry. She's she's hungry. She was worried the mic was going to pick up her stomach growling. <laughs> Jenna, true. are you doing okay? Yeah. Jenna, why don't you do intru- introduce yourself to the folks? Yeah, well, hi. I am hungry, um, but my name is Jenna, and um, I've been around Crossroads a few years, and I am working in digital discipleship, digital media, and it's a fun time. So that's awesome. Welcome to the show, Jenna. Thank Jen- you. Glad you're Jenna Steele, everybody. It's it's an honor. What's, what's for lunch today? Misleading. What is for lunch? For lunch, I, I packed a sandwich. Packed a sandwich. Okay. Hey, that's a good choice. And it's mm. overrated. I packed lunch. What kind of sandwich? Also. Overrated. You want to talk about overrated guy. lunches? Let's bring up raisin canes in the conversation. Oh gosh, here we go. <laughs> here, this is the banter. What, the what? best thing about raisin canes is the sauce that covers up the flavor of everything Hold on. else. Are you calling it raisin canes? Yeah. Like, like, raisin like a dried out. Like a raisin, I don't know if y'all like been there, but grape. it's like raisins in sauce. I don't yeah. think dried up grapes. Canes yeah. sells any raisins. No, and Canes is good. I like Canes, but Jenna, what type of sandwich are you having today? I brought a ham and cheese sandwich. Okay. It's simple. It's a classic. It's nothing too special. It's a, a Jim Halpert. Yep, special. that's a Jim yep. Halpert sandwich for <laughs> sure. Absolutely, uh, Jenna. You did have a. Um, Kind of a you're, you run our social media and do a great job of that. Um, if you guys are loving our social media influence and footprint, that is Jenna Steele. Uh, um, if you don't like it, it's run by Wes. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Um, Jenna, you you said you put out to the people uh, today a, an interesting um, question and quandary. What was we, that? We did. We actually asked whether pumpkin spice lattes or coffee is overrated or good. Now that, um, now that we're into the fall, it's a balmy 92 degrees, mm. which is weirdly 20 degrees lower than it was a few <laughs> weeks ago. The debate has broadened to pumpkin spice in general, though. Okay. So. Just to be clear, your question on Facebook was overrated or delicious. True. Not just good. Can there be an in-between? It can is, be mid. Is there? <clears throat> That's a good question. I don't know if there is, the, because people are... It's a fairly polarizing spice. <laughs> Yeah, pumpkins aren't spicy, right? Like I don't. No, you have to add spices yeah. to get pumpkin spice. It's a pumpkin plus spice. Equation. What kind it's of spice? Pumpkin flavored spice. What kind of spice? Clove, is it? nutmeg. Nutmeg, yeah. Cinnamon. So we're just. I don't, like, I don't know. If so pumpkin tastes like nothing. So we're asking if clove is good. 
<laughs> I think that's what we're doing. You know what? I think. Do you like ground cloves? <laughs> sure. Pumpkins in general are overrated. I would say. Why? Like, why? like how they taste, how they look. No, everything the, about everything, everything about them. I will fight you over a pumpkin pie. No, every every see pumpkin pie overrated. Uh, the whole False. like it's like. The whole pumpkin, pumpkin carving experience overrated. overrated. Pumpkin patches Ooh, overrated. That's tough. Yeah. I will ask, why are pumpkins like the one vegetable we've decided to make a decoration only in the <laughs> fall season? Like I don't set out other vegetables like zucchini yeah, in the summer. That. Every time summer comes around, just a bunch of watermelons. <laughs> it's yeah, spring, I mean, guys. Cauliflower's here. <laughs> ridiculous i love it yeah let's talk about the bible okay yeah it, yeah this is our cr studies series and so i guess we should jump into god's word a little bit yeah. um and so we're gonna pick up where we left off uh where we left off john and devin uh were here a couple weeks ago and guys honestly we've kind of dropped the ball on the consistency of this podcast we're gonna try to pick that up um and so we are we're we, picking we, up, we've, we've, we've dropped the ball we've interesting turn of phrase <laughs> Wow, guys, my friends are mean to me, and that's okay. Um, but we're going to pick up where we left off. We're going to uh, pick up in um, chapter 2, and so Wes is going to read it for us. Wes, go yep, ahead. Here we go, Romans chapter 2. It says, Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge one another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. Do you think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good Seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. There will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For there is no favoritism with God. For all who sin without the law will also perish without the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So, when Gentiles, who do not by nature have the law, do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them. On the day when God judges what people have kept secret, according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. Now... If you call yourself a Jew and let's we're, pause there for a minute, we're going to pause there for yeah. just a minute. Yeah, let's man. That's a lot. So let's, you want to dive into that first, J.D.? <clears throat> yeah. Um, so just kind of some context to pick up where, where we left off. Um, so John and Devin. If yeah, because it starts with therefore. Yeah. Um, so anytime you see a therefore in scripture, you got to have to you gotta yeah. ask, what, what is, is it the there for? Wow. That was, it's like we have catchphrases <laughs> already or something. Um, no, it's super interesting because uh, we talked about John and Devin last week, um, or with the last episode. Uh, <clears throat> they talked a lot about the uh, the condemnation from Paul to the Gentiles. And if we kind of look at the Roman church in the first week, we talked about how uh, this context of these two groups within the church kind of competing with each other and having um, division amongst the church. And so Paul spends the first chapter 
um, and really the second half of the first chapter, just really hardcore going in on the sin of the Gentiles. And so you can almost feel like the, the Jews listening to this being like, yeah, you get them, Paul. Like these, these stinking Gentiles, they don't know what they're doing, like a bunch of idiots, you know. And like you can kind of feel that. And then Paul's like, but let's talk about the Jews for a second here. He's like, um, he talks about the Jews and he's like, though they know, God, they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. It says, therefore, you have no excuse speaking to the Jews. Because if you look at the Jews, you know, they, they grew up with the law. They grew up having at least an understanding of who God is. They're God's chosen people. God did work all these miraculous works with their ancestors, and they've heard stories. And, and Paul's like, you grew up in this, and yet you still, like, it, it, does, it does you no good. Like, even though you know about God, you're it, like that knowledge can't save you. Uh, Sam and Debbie, they taught this, this class um, where we talked about the, uh, this section of Scripture, and they, they called this first section like the kind of a condemnation of the morally educated. Um, I think a lot of times as believers, we too can kind of uh, embody this sometimes. Like, I mean, I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in a, in a Christian home with faithful parents, and I grew up in Sunday school, and I, I know the Sunday school answers, but yet those things cannot save me. If I get if I go and stand before the Lord one day and on judgment day, and I'm like, well, God, I, you know, I, I nailed all of the, the questions in, in Sunday school, and I, I was first place at Bible drill. That, that's not going to, not going to do it, um, because ultimately we're still condemned because of our sin. Yeah, in chapter one, you sit there and you go, man, he is coming out swinging mm-hmm. at all of those people who are those Gentile believers who aren't locked into what they should be locked into, and and eventually kind of kind of culminating in this idea of God abandoning them over to the sinful desires that are flesh. Like this is what your heart wants, so there you go. And it, and really, it's I mean, it's idolatry. Your heart is craving something other than God, mm-hmm. and you go, wow. I mean, that is intense. And the Jewish reader, particularly the Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, would have looked at this and went, yeah, like you said, go get them. And so, but then he turns the page and, and, and I mean, it's, I mean, for Paul, it's not chapter two. He was just writing continuously, yeah. right? So he's <clears throat> writing, he's go, you know, by the way, none of you are any better. Yeah. Because the desire of your heart is an idolatry to the law and moral righteousness. Like you think that your self-righteousness is elevating you above them, but the truth is underneath the surface level sins, which manifest maybe differently in each of you, there is a core underbelly of idolatry and rebellion against God, that you're looking for something else to give you the fulfillment, the joy, the the, the salvation even that is that it's not supposed to come from. Mm-hmm. And so at the heart of it all, it's, he's really just going like, you're missing this. And not only are they missing it, they're actually using their elevated sense of self-righteousness not to look at other people and go, man, they need Jesus, but to look at themselves as elevated and higher and look down upon other people, which you don't see Jesus do. You see Jesus get down in the dirt and work with people who desperately need him, not stand in and judge them, you know, when he's on earth. Um, he, he wants them to understand his grace and yeah. understand where that comes from. It's almost like the Jews. So, like, I mean, Jesus, you know, spends all of his time, a lot of his time kind of calling out Pharisees and, and their practices. Um, and then it's you almost kind of see this kind of Pharisaical behavior move forward into um, – the Jewish church 
because they're like, well, we're like a step ahead of everybody else. Um, and that, that just completely discredits everything that what, what Jesus was saying, um, because like they're still coming in with this, this self-righteous attitude of like, well, yeah, but I also uh, like circumcise my, my kids and I also keep kosher and I keep the Sabbath and I do these other things. And Paul's like, you, you are, you're doing no better because you're elevating the law, thinking that somehow you following these things will save you. And you are just as corrupt and just as sinful, just as condemned. Yeah, and I think what you see here is like when people, when the Jewish people here in particular start to judge, mm-hmm. is there's an acknowledgement that there is a moral standard that exists. Um, like they know there's a standard that they're trying to reach that you should be able to reach. But really what Paul's saying is you're revealing the standard you also can't meet, mm. which I think is super interesting. He talks about that in verse 3. So do you think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same that you will escape God's judgment? Like he's going, this very standard that you're trying to hold other people to is the one you can't meet yourself. Yeah, and what you see in them is, is evident in what we see in, in a lot of ourselves today. I mean, we can easily see the sins in other people's lives. Right. I mean, matter of fact, for, for a few minutes, I'd like to list all of y'all's. Um, and, Jenna, um, <laughs> no, I, like that, that's it's so. I mean, self-reflection, self-evaluation, confession. These are things that we should lean into at the beginning of every moment of our life as believers, because it reminds us of the grace that we've been given and the grace we should extend. Um, but instead, we often look do the same thing. I mean, we can look at them and go, "Man, these Pharisees are you know they, these are idiots. How would they, how could they do that?" But we see it in ourselves. Like we, we want to evaluate other people's behavior before we evaluate ours. If, if I do something wrong, listen, I, I, I had a reason, right? But if somebody else does it wrong, they just should be condemned and judged for it. Um, and so we, we evaluate ourselves by our intentions. We evaluate everybody else by their actions. We, we, it, and that's what they're doing here. They're not holding the same standard for each other. But... Um, I don't know. You don't want to speak to that because I've got one of my favorite verses is, is in here also. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think the conviction hits really hard for the Jews and for us as we read this. And it kind of reminds me of um, 2 Samuel 12 when Nathan is talking to David and David has committed adultery and Nathan brings up this example and David agrees and says, yeah, we should punish this guy. He sinned horribly. He deserves death and punishment. And Nathan goes, actually, that was you. So you just, you know, you declared your own judgment, your own punishment. I think we see that here because in the first chapter, the Jews are reading this about the Gentiles and going, yeah, absolutely. This is horrible. These people should be judged. They should be punished. And then Paul kind of flips the switch and goes, actually, that's you too. Yeah. Yeah. Our hearts are uh, bad guides. They're also blind idiots. Uh, so, I mean, like it, it we can't see things in ourselves, but it's also the method. It's not just what they're seeing. It's how they're going about it clearly because he's going to address a, a character attribute of God in, in the text. So when you get into the end of, of chapter of verse four, rather of chapter two, when he's telling him it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance. Mm. It was God's kindness towards the Jewish people, despite all of the rebellion and all of the complaining and all of the like rejection and rejection and rejection and rejection and all of the cycles of sin and all like all of that. He kept giving them grace. 
and it was God's kindness that led them into their repentance. But it, but they're unwilling to extend that very kindness to anyone else. You know, we again we see this all the time today, where we get people yelling and screaming at each other about behaviors or uh, whether they're moralistic or or and these are clearly attached. But um, you know, spiritual truth mm-hmm. that we need to live. And we go well if I scream at those people, surely they'll change. Yeah. If I type in all caps on my social media then surely they'll go, oh, wow, great point, Wes. Thanks for bringing that to my attention, right? Not an all-caps guy. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, we, we forget this part. It is, it is the kindness of God that initiates that turn. Mm-hmm. It's not that he's not confronting it. He ha- it must be confronted. But how you confront it matters. Yeah, it's. A, <clears throat> I mean, I read that and think about the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And I, I kind of think about, I mean, we're about to go through a Jonah study. Yeah. Um, on Sunday mornings and we're we're uh, we're studying for that and thinking about it um it's Jonah's heart was never for the Ninevites to repent um because he knew that God is kind and merciful and likely to forgive them um but sometimes like I I think we I don't know like he's calling out these these Jewish believers he's like you don't even necessarily want them to repent from their sins and you don't want them to find forgiveness, and you don't want them to find repentance. And I'm telling you, it's God's kindness that is calling you to repentance. Um, you're in the same boat. And that's something that Jonah didn't realize, was that he was just as reliant on the Lord's forgiveness and kindness towards him as the Ninevites were. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's really it's a convicting and, and challenging passage. And as we kind of work our way through it, and we do need to keep moving on, it's something to remember, and we're going to talk about this even on our next episode, about how it's going to feel like this is just depression and death and sadness and sin and, <laughs> and condemnation and all this stuff. And I think a lot of times there's a temptation to like kind of blow past it or to kind of laugh about it because like we're, we're living in repentance as believers. Yeah. Um, and there's a temptation to like whenever you're teaching it to be like, haha, isn't this depressing? Like, and just kind of make a joke about it. But I think we need to like kind of sit in this and dwell in it, <clears throat> not because this defines us, but because it's important. F- like it makes us praise the Lord that much more when we realize the the level of condemnation that we were under, and like this is written for that church who presumably are believers for them to remember their own depravity when they're dealing with other people, and I think it makes a difference for us. Yeah, even even here they're using the law as the standard that separates them from the Gentile. Mm-hmm. They're saying we're we're better at the law than they are. Uh, we were given the law; that was our gift, and and all that kind of stuff. And 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 you're right. Like this is this. I mean, it's it's very heavy. I mean, you get mm-hmm. you get like God's wrath. I mean, which is a, a the nature of God uh, against sin that we that sometimes a lot of churches omit. Like that is, but God violently hates and detests sin. He will not tolerate it. Yeah. Um, but there is um, there is this part where He takes the very thing that they're using to elevate themselves. And he puts it back on them for evaluation. Like in verse um, 13, he says, for hearers of the law. So this is what have been what like, and Paul knows this coming out of, you know, being a, a, you know, being a Pharisee himself, like they pride themselves on, we've heard the law, we've memorized the Torah, we know all this stuff, but God's going to take it to a different place. He goes, for the hearers of the law, verse 13, are not righteous before God. Mm. So hearing the law doesn't, isn't, isn't fixing you guys doers of the law will be justified. I think a lot of times in church we hear people going, get in the word, get in the word, get in the word, get in the word. And that that is a good thing to say. Mm-hmm. But the Bible doesn't stop at get in the word. It says, 
be doers of the word and not hearers only. Don't just memorize scripture. You have to actually let the Bible transform your life and come out of you. And he's calling them to that to go, you know it, but where is it? Mm. Where is this coming out of you in your behavior? Yeah, it actually reminded me a little bit of the message Sunday, um, not to compare the Jewish people to demons. However, (laughs) um, what you see in the demons is that they know a lot. They know a lot about who Jesus is, but they don't know him. And I think that's what is happening here for the Jewish people is Paul's going, you know all these things. You've heard it over and over. Where is it in your life? And until it actually, the word of God actually lands in our life and changes us, um, and we become repentant, turning from our old life into a new life, then it really hasn't impacted us, and it really hasn't moved us into the kingdom of God. Yeah, and and, and Paul goes to some words that are uncomfortable when he gets near the end of this section where he talks about words like conscience and secret. Mm. And he's like, you're trying to use externals to validate you, but God actually knows what's internal to you. So you need to know he sees your inside. I mean, you can, we've talked about this many times at our church, you can do good things for bad reasons. Mm -hmm. You can go on mission trips with an ulterior motive of self-glorification, right? Like that is a possibility. And God knows when our internal motivation does not match our external behavior. Yeah, it's where scripture says that like, you know, the word of God is living and active and it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That yep. God looks at the inside. He knows everything. Yeah, I think this section of scripture just brings about a really good point of like, we should be reflecting um, within ourselves and asking God to reveal like, are there secret motives that we have in our lives? Are, are our actions, you know, not consistent with our heart? And are there areas that we need to submit to him in that so that we're, be, we're living a life of integrity um, and so that we're being hearers of the word and doers of the word. Yeah. And he, get, he gets to this later, but he's in the, in the book where he's just like, even if you were, like, even if somehow you did manage to, like, have a, have a righteous moment, like, it's still, it's, like, it will not, say, like, it is not sufficient. And he's like, and you're not even doing that mm-hmm. right now. You are not even living out the law. But even if you did, it's still not enough, um, which good news is coming. Yeah, but but he's going to get to the hammer in chapter three, which we got to get to here in a minute. But yeah. um, let's let's keep going for now. Uh, Wes, you want to pick up and read seventeen through twenty-four? Yes, sir. It says now, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law, and if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law. You then who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who mm-hmm. preach, you must not steal, do you steal? You who say, you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Ooh, that's fun. I don't like that <laughs> passage. God, I mean, that's... It's calling out the preachers, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Three of them here feeling convicted. Right, just in right. Just you're curious. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and that's, but that's the point, right, yeah. where he's going, this is the reason that we don't want to ever build uh, any church ministry, anything in, in, in Christendom in, on the, the personality of an individual because every single one of us has failure, flaw, sin, rebellion, you know, uh, blind spots, 
darkness that we wrestle with, um, that we can't stand and go, you know, look at the perfection in me ever. Um, we have to, which should bring us to a place of humility. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to be humble as we approach the struggle we have, shouldn't that create a humility with how we approach the struggle that other people have? Yeah, I found um, sometimes I get nervous whenever, like, obviously I get nervous whenever I get up to preach, and that's that's a good place to be. But sometimes I get nervous whenever I get handed certain texts to preach because I'm like, oh, man, God's going to start working mm. on this in my life. I remember when we were going through James, um, and he was just talking about, like, I think I had to preach, like, James 1, which a lot of that is, a bit, like, super challenging of, con- like, um, contentment um, yeah. in the Lord. And uh, I was like, oh, God man like because i'm thinking like as i'm reading this and studying the text i'm just like oh i'm so feeling so convicted um by this and and you know you can listen to two different voices whenever you get up to for those of you who don't teach or preach regularly you can listen to those voices right before you get up and you can just listen to the the voice that's like yeah like you're a fraud like you can't do this or you can listen to the voice that's like yeah you struggle with this too but like there's still truth that you can convey, but there's also truth that's going to be challenging in you. And I think anytime you get up to preach, if you're not convicted by what you're saying, I think you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Like, I don't think you're approaching that text with enough humility um, because there is so much to speak to this. And I think this is a lot of what Paul's getting at. He's like, you guys are, are teaching with such pride. Yeah. You guys are teaching as if you don't struggle with this, um, whatever it is that you're teaching. Uh, and that's a that's a dangerous place to be, and that's mm-hmm. why Paul cautions against it. I think in parenting, sometimes we hear people say the phrase, do as I say, not, not as, as I, I do. do. Yep. Um, and as believers, we want to <laughs> humbly try to do the opposite of that, is if, our, if we want our lives to display what we are trying to teach to others. We want to be consistent um, with that. We want to be able to, you know, humbly say, try to follow me as I try to follow Christ, like as Paul says, um, and just try to live consistent with what we're sharing and teaching others um, and how we're living our lives. Yeah, it reminds me of leaders. Like, we have such an impact on how the lost world views God, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't say the name of the Jewish synagogue is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Like, it says the name of God. So how we live, like, has an impact on how non-believers see God and see his character. And I think we see that um, not to, I'm not going to pick on anybody in particular in the Christian world, but you see it as Christian leaders fall. There's a, there's a correlation where non-believers go, see another one, God isn't real or God isn't loving or mm-hmm. God isn't this. So I think there's just such a, it's just a humbling reminder that in Christian leadership, people are looking at you and non-believers are looking at you to determine their opinion of who God is. Yeah, I think about the the lyrics of that Jesus Way song that we sing. Um, mm-hmm. The Phil Wickham's like, you know, he, he took my my shame. I'll I'll take his name, um, and we do. Uh, I, oh gosh, what is it? Um, I can't remember. There's a passage that talks about how like whenever we bear the name of Christ, it's like we are we're like embodying mm-hmm. Christ. And so whenever we live a certain way, to, to Jenna's point and, and to West's point, it, it it reflects poorly on on God and I, you know, you guys are you know I used to go on st- student mission trips and stuff and student camps and whatnot. I know Wes has been on a few. I know I know you guys all have. And uh, you, your student pastor, did he ever give you the speech of like, whenever you're getting off this bus, you're not not only representing yourself, <laughs> your family, you're also representing this church, right? 
and if they got really serious, you weren't just representing that church, you were representing Christ. Um, and that, honestly, we should give ourselves that pep talk. Mm-hmm. Anytime, every day. Every day. Any, yeah. Anytime you go anywhere, like, what is your attitude like at the restaurant? What is, what is your attitude like when you're walking into the bank or whenever you're at the grocery store? Um, are you an entitled person or are you a person that is practicing humility as you preach humility? Um, it's, it's super challenging. I mean, we've got to remember the context of what is being written here to the church in Rome. Um, as you're, if you're reading this as a, as a first century reader in that church and you read chapter one and you go, yes, 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 they need to hear this. Yep. They all need to hear this. They are unrighteous, every one of them. God will abandon you, and then you. I mean, it, which it almost it almost lowers your guard because you get a sense of as you read the first part, you go like, "Well, I guess we're doing this right, yep. and we're acknowledging what you know from their perspective, and often some from our perspective, we're acknowledging that we are right and they are wrong." And then you get to chapter two, and he goes, "No, you're all wrong. Like, you're not any better than the people you were willing to call them unrighteous. You were willing to see them abandoned." then that should apply to you. Yeah. Well, it's it's like a parent, or it's like a kid watching his sibling get in trouble, and then being like, yeah, like that that chump, he had this coming. Like, I knew this was going to happen. And then the parent turning and being like, yeah, and you too. Like, right. like you also do these things, and you're no better. And, like, I, you know, I mean, yeah, maybe it's a story into my childhood there. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> Therapy with JD. Yeah, that's a different podcast. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's, let's continue through the, the end of that chapter, uh, starting in verse 25. Yeah, it says, Circumcision benefits you, if, sorry, benefits you if you observe the law, but if you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? A man who is physically uncircumcised but who keeps the law will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. Hmm. Lots of circumcision there, which Mm -hmm. is a fun topic. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that's super super convicting. and it would have been really, really challenging for this church because it's like Paul is going after them and being like, well, you find pride in this physical state in which you find yourself, and that actually doesn't matter. Um, what matters more is, hey, have you kept the law perfectly? Uh, if you haven't, then your circumcision is of no use to you. Right. You need something else. He just hasn't mentioned the something else yet. Yeah, but that's I think that's kind of where we're at with this church. Yeah, I mean it's we see this throughout Scripture. You know, God does not evaluate things the way that men do. You mm-hmm. know, he's not looking at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
Um, and that's what he's saying to them here. Like they're making so much of their faith wrapped up in these external physicals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the same way we see it today. Like, do you attend church? Do you have a, the ichthus Jesus fish on your car? Do you have, uh, do you have scripture tattooed on your forearm? Do you, do you got the right t-shirt or, uh, you know, do you have the, the newest and, and I'm not hating on these things. I'm just saying like, it, mm. is, it, is it because you got your Maverick city, you know, hat on with all the coolest Christian bling. And again, those things can be good. But what he's saying is not that those things are bad. He's saying that those things are not the indicators God's looking at. Right. Mm-hmm. No, those th- those things can be great. They can be vehicles for conversation, for evangelism, for the gospel. But if there's externals without internals, the externals are simply a lie. Yeah. And he, he's trying to reveal that to them. Like, I mean, that's why you get you get Paul talking about this later when he talks about Mark's of the flesh. He goes, you know, the, the Pharisees and different people are wanting to evaluate things by externals and the marks on their, you know, here's what I've been willing to endure for the sake of Christ. And Paul's like, okay, if we want to compare that way, I'll take off my tunic. Okay. Mm-hmm. A guy who has been beaten multiple times, um, 40 minus one with, um, with with a weapon of execution, I've been shipwrecked and imprisoned. Uh, Paul probably didn't look great. Like that dude had been had the trash beat out of him lots of times. He's got marks, and he's like, if you want to look at marks of the flesh, I'll show you marks of the flesh, and we can compare that way. But the marks of the flesh do not reveal what's inside, mm-hmm. and what's inside is infinitely more important to God. And that's, that's what he's getting at with them is, is it's all these – because what they're evaluating the Gentiles on in chapter 4 are the externals, right? And, and what God is doing is going, I need you to look past your externals into your internals because that's where the problem lies for both groups. Yeah, he does this with, uh, with our young adults. We've been studying through the book of Titus. Uh, and he sends, it's interesting, There, you know, the church in Crete is struggling with a similar sort of thing of like these Jews – demanding that these Gentiles live a certain kind of way. Um, and so Paul sends Titus, which, uh, if you don't know, it's kind of cool. Um, Titus's name, uh, if you look at it in the Greek, it looks like Titan, um, which is just, like, just kind of cool. Like, his name's literally Titan, which is awesome. Um, but he's a, he's a Greek guy. Like, he is not a Jew. And he sends this uncircumcised Greek man named Titan to this church that, has issues with Gentiles and Paul's like, yeah, this is my guy that I'm sending here. Um, kind of communicating that like, it actually doesn't necessarily matter. These, these outward indicators, what matters is what's going on in the heart. Have you truly surrendered your life to Jesus? And if you have, you would not be declared. You would not say, yeah, God, look at me with all my outward things. You would recognize that your soul is depraved and in need of salvation yeah. and you cry out to God and that's what cures you from the inside out um, Jesus talks about like it's out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks um, and he, he's like there, it's what what's in your heart that matters yep. it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man it's what comes out of a man that defiles a man and what comes out of a man comes from the heart so what is in your heart that truly matters here um, and so really everybody should be de- depressed at this point reading this letter right because they're like Man, even if I could fake it, it doesn't matter. It's fake. Yeah, I, I think it speaks to something we, we tend to often do in Christian culture is um, we want to relieve the tension too fast. Paul's not in a hurry to relieve tension no. here. Um, you know, we, we want to we want to give you uh, a, a joke, a poem, three points, and uh, a simple solution by the end of the message. And 
uh, and while that can be useful and God definitely uses it all the time, sometimes it's okay to leave us for a moment sitting in a reality of sin and brokenness because if we don't recognize that reality, what what sends us looking for a savior? Yeah. And and ultimately, him bringing us to this reality is an act of love and kindness. It is God's kindness to let us see this so that it will lead us to repentance. Yeah, Jonathan Edwards, pastor, long time ago. Um, he big fan. Yeah, he he was. I can't remember if it was, I was if it was one of y'all servants. So I don't want to steal your your thunder. I kind of think it was a seminary. Uh, it was in one of my seminary classes, a prof telling a story about Jonathan Edwards, and he would preach in the morning, and it would just be hellfire condemnation, <laughs> like sin, you know, people would be crying, and he he would not, he wouldn't even come with the gospel at the end. He would say, sit in this all afternoon. He'd say, I'll tell you something else this evening. Hmm. And he, he would make him sit in it. And I'm not, I mean, Jonathan Edwards isn't, isn't God. Like, I'm not saying right, that's right. how you're supposed to preach, and that's the best way to do it, and that's the most effective way to do it. That is kind of what Paul did here. I mean, he spent a lot, these are a lot of words, talking about hellfire, condemnation, sin. Like, I mean, it's it's tough. Yeah. I, mean, I think we need to sit in this. Yeah, but I think some of it is, I was listening to Jen Wilkin talk about this the other day, of like how we learn things. Mm-hmm. And some of it, like, we learn in the tension. And she was talking about, like, um, pre-GPS world, I can remember a little bit of this. Um, Jason, you can probably help me with this reality. Um, no. Pre-GPS yep. world. There was a pre-GPS world? Yes. yes. You, had to know where you, to, you had to know how to get places. You could actually get lost. There were maps? There were maps. I'm the map. Yeah, Sorry. that's a different thing. Um, but like you, when you got lost, when you get lost somewhere and you can't find it, there's this anxiety and this tension that rises up in you. But then when you figure out your way out, there's actually a thing that happens in your brain where it burns it in your brain. And if you ever get back to that place, you can't get lost again. Hmm. Hmm. Like there, it's in the tension and in the dissonance where we learn things. Hmm. And to me, I think that's what's so important to not resolve the tension because I think God wants us to wrestle with it. I think God wants us to go like, yeah, we are depraved. We are desperately in need of a savior. And I think he wants us to sit in that reality for a little bit so we can get to eventually... Ten weeks from now, Romans chapter eight. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I think it's optimistic that you think we'll get there in ten weeks. Sorry, go ahead, Jenna. I was going to say I think it's easy, like even for those of us who are already saved, to look at this and go, "Well, I I've seen you know my desperate need for a savior, and I've accepted my savior." But it's still good, even for those of us who are saved, to still sit in this tension mm-hmm. and just just reflect and be grateful for the sacrifice that Christ has made for us and for the kindness of God that has drawn us to repentance um, and will continue to. Yeah, I hate doing that, though, right? Like, it's tough. I mean, you can ask my wife. Like, whenever I screw up or make a mistake or something, I just want reconciliation as fast as humanly possible. Like, I, and some, like, I'm, my wife's a slower processor when it comes to that sort of stuff. And so, like, I will, you know, run my mouth or something or do something that, like, I will offend her in some way. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, and I'm just like, Love. and she needs to sit in that for a minute, and she needs a minute, and I, I hate it because I'm just like, no, I like, I don't, I don't like this feeling at all. And I think there's something to that, Wes, of like, no, that sometimes it's it's helpful. It's not fun to sit in the tension, but it's helpful for us because yep. um, we recognize we kind of count the cost of our sin too sometimes. 
So that's kind of where chapter two resolves and maybe uh, as a way of kind of uh, respecting what we just talked about, um, maybe it's time for all of us to live in a little bit of that tension, spend some time in prayer and confession, repentance, self-reflection, um, and um, end right there. So love you guys. Love Have you a guys. good time.